0: Welcome or welcome back to Portrix the Podcast, the incremental podcast series where all mad here where I, Maor Sadra, host a series of guests for super casual interviews about whatever comes to mind. In this episode, I found my Australian doppelganger, Mark. Mark has 20 years experience in marketing and marketing technology. He is as opinionated as I am about the world of tracking, measurement, and attribution. Mark works as an outdoor CMO helping companies build sustainable and healthy marketing strategies. Mark and I were talking about the good old days and why we considered opening a marketing rehab center together. I really enjoyed talking with Mark and hope you'll enjoy listening to our conversation. So we're going to start the recording in a three. Hello, Mark. How are you? Hey, good to see you. Same here. Thank you for making it um, like during a uh, late evening. So you're based in Australia?
1: I am yes yeah it's a bit after nine pm here as we're recording.
0: Okay, and it's like one pm for me, so quite the quite the gap. So really, really thank you for making the time. I was actually surprised when I saw the invite for like an afternoon, because usually when I work with Australians, it's like my too early morning um, their <laughs> afternoon. But uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of like how um, how this uh, happens. Maybe I'll cut this part. But- it's, it's just not
1: interesting. <laughs> yeah, but- the advantage to recording in the evening is I've had a glass of wine, and you haven't so i've I've arguably got an advantage over you okay, yeah, yeah, I had multiple coffees that's that's what I've had so yeah far. so you're on coffee, I'm on wine, so we'll see which one does better okay, cool, so uh
0: Mark, would you give a lengthy introduction uh, on yourself to the audience and also to me?
1: All right, well. I was born to my two loving parents. Um, no, that's maybe a bit too lengthy. Um, I, I was, um, yeah, I was raised in Australia. Um, I did a, a long stint in um, London, where I, I kind of did a few things um, of, of interest. For actually, my background's actually in music industry, running recording studios and stuff like that. But in 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 London, I kind of transitioned and. You know, this, this whole kind of internet thing was kind of bubbling up and I kind of thought it might go somewhere. Still, still caught still out on that one, but I, I still I, I still believe. And um, just, for, just for a bunch of kind of coincidences and whatever and, and, and some luck, I, I ended up at uh, Microsoft in, in London with um, MSN. And I, I, was, I was a developer for msn.co.uk, if you remember back in those days when this, this is, we're talking late 90s here, when, when the MSN sites ruled the world. And again, you know, did a bunch of things right and blah, 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 and, and ended up um, running um, MSN as lead developer for 22 countries. So um, this is like 99, give or take. So that, that, that was a lot of fun. I had the dot-com boom. It was just crazy in London, and it was all great. Um, moved to Australia, did a whole bunch of jobs, got kind of, you know, always thought the marketing guys were having more fun, so just kind of, you know, transferred my way over to marketing over time. Um, did a bunch of other stuff, worked as a kind of a, a project manager and information architect, Did some writing for a while, and worked for an agency for a while, and and ended up as um, chief marketing officer for a, a fashion company in Australia, um, online fashion company called Shopo, and we, we, we did quite well and you know had some really good success, grew the business really fast um, as, as CMO. and then I left there almost three years ago, in fact I think it was about three years ago, and since then I'm basically just working as a, an outsourced consulting chief marketing officer. So I work across a number of companies both kind of retained and project basis, kind of generally helping with uh, they're primarily a lot of online shops or digitally led companies um to do some education and a few other kind of random things as well but a lot of it's just about digital maturity helping companies kind of you know accelerate their digital maturity and kind of grow and do, do things for the way they think they should be doing them cool and by the way i didn't know
0: that you're a former musician i'm also a former recording musician and also yeah, in the I... studio and it's uh, quite interesting it's like. A, um... I I think it was at some point you need you know you need to make a choice: starving artists or <laughs> career in advertising technology. Hard choices,
1: um, and I ended yeah. up there too. Yeah, I mean, I, I was doing some, non, some some commercial audio stuff as well. Like, for I spent a year in London doing running a studio that did like um, voiceovers and sound for computer games and stuff like that which people think sounds really fun but if you actually get into the details it's actually quite excruciatingly boring um it's like 10 percent fun and about 90 percent just utter grind yeah so yeah it's not as great as i, I mean it paid but um yeah not not yeah not, not amazingly well or anything
0: okay um now recently you know we had a we had a little bit of a chat and then i realized that you're as opinionated as i am on the whole <laughs> topic of tracking and attribution as forms of measurements oh, yes. and what is your views on the topic feel free to to oh, go on man
1: how, how long do we have um we, we could just spend like the next half hour talking about my opinions on tracking um i i think there is no good or perfect answers now i haven't really explored your solution well maybe maybe you may maybe take incremental is a good or perfect answer um i don't know but um yeah what what, what i do is I I see people a lot mistaking um, accuracy and precision. Um, so, 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 you know, a, a, as you would well know, people are kind of addicted to Google analytics and, or, or even, you know, Google ads or Facebook or less so Facebook, cause you know, Facebook can barely even report on, on ROAS these days, but you know, Google and stuff like that, you know, but, and they'll say, Oh, you made, you know, 8.24, you know, times, you know, return on investment and people get seduced by that number. It's completely inaccurate, but it's very precise. And, and, and people confuse precision with accuracy. Uh, I, I see that all the time, and then and, and people kind of, and, and those tools tend to consistently undervalue long-term upper funnel activities and and overvalue short-term activities. No, not, not and, and you know, there's a valid case for doing short-term activities. It's not that I'm against them, but people, people only look through one measurement and then only value one activity and then only invest in one activity. And, and basically just become addicted to to writing blank checks to google and facebook and, and, and a, a big part of what i do in my job is basically pe- pe- people kind of come to me to to wean off the drug but they're also very very <laughs> they're very very addicted and, and so consider consider myself to be like a um, rehab like center a drug- a yeah. drug rehab center, yeah. yeah so you yeah. Know, but, Market, but Marketing addicts, rehab, nice. Exactly. The, the addicts come willingly to a rehab center, but doesn't mean they're happy about it and doesn't mean they don't fight in two for now. at the same time, doesn't mean they need, don't need a lot of convincing and whatever. So yeah, that, that's kind of, that makes up a sub- substantial portion of the work I do. Who's the toughest person to convince
0: when you, let's say, take a new project, come to a new company?
1: That's an interesting question. I'll, I'll answer that indirectly. And this is not a perfect answer, but i, I I'll probably, I, I do some writing for trade magazines and whatnot. And I reckon it was about two and a half years ago, I, I wrote an article for like a big kind of trade magazine in Australia. And it was about this subject. It was just about, you know, performance versus brand and blah, blah, blah. You know, the, 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 old, the old thing we, we, we've all heard a hundred times. And what was, and I thought it was quite a good piece and it was well received. And I had a bunch of people reach out to me afterwards on LinkedIn and whatnot. And what was interesting is all the people who reached out to me were CEOs. There wasn't a single marketer. And it seems like CEOs understand brand better than marketing people do. And that's always fascinated me. I think um, marketing people have just become so obsessed with their own data and so fixated with their own data. And so many marketing people have kind of painted themselves into a corner and, and they've trained their, their teams and they've trained their CFOs especially, that marketing's just become this slot machine where you insert $1 and you get $8 back within 30 days. And that's all marketing is. And if that's all marketing is, it's not really a job I want because it's, it's really quite simplistic to do that. You know, any, anyone can write blank checks to Google. Anyone can write blank checks to Facebook. There's no skill, there's no art in that. And, and look, it works to an extent, but it's, um, I think there's a lot more to it than that. And, and the other challenges, a lot of the companies I work with, virtually all companies I work with have a head of marketing in place, right? Sometimes a CMO, but usually a head of marketing in place. And, you know, it's a sort of person who's got, you know, five, six years experience, they're really good at executing stuff. Um, but, but often they're kind of, you know, someone in their late 20s or something like that. And that their entire career has been built up in performance media and they don't realize there's a world beyond that. They think performance marketing. They think writing checks to Google and getting you know six six times back within thirty days. They think that is marketing, and those people are the hardest to work with. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you say. My, my,
0: my other question for you well, is... Well,
1: no, you have, to just, you have to disagree with me. You have to, no, you have I, to argue I about do, I do. I think, again,
0: we, we, sh- we share the opinion. And what, what I'm interested to really also know... Well, is this is the end of
1: this podcast today. So thank <laughs> you for chatting
0: with <laughs> me. What was your eureka moment or moments? For me, it was moments. But I would love to hear kind of like what, was, what made it click for you that hmm, maybe this doesn't really like make sense that much.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it was, because I, I, I'm i a reform performance marketer, right? I, I I was head of like a big performance marketing agency for quite a few years. And, you know, we're, we're managing a lot of big, um, you know, some of the biggest e-com companies and finance companies in Australia. And um, I don't know if there was a single eureka moment, but there, there has been lots and lots of little steps, you know, stuff like, um. you know, you, you, you go run a geo test and, you know, you run... YouTube upper funnel campaigns in, in, in one state, and you know, Google reports a row as a 50% or something, but you actually look at the uplift and it's like three, 400%. I mean, it, and it stays up. And, and just running campaigns like that, where you, you, you actually look see, I, I think another thing people confuse it with, you know, getting back to this precision of accuracy and whatever, people say, you know, uh, Google's reported 6.7 times return or whatever it might be. Um, I'm picking on Google because Facebook's just even, it's just too easy. Um, and, and Google at least is kind of a bit more old-school. But, but people look at that number and it's like, okay, did Google give you $6.70? No, Google didn't give you anything, right? You, you, you gave them a dollar, did they give you $6.70? No, they reported $6.70, but they didn't give it to you. And, and, and so one of the things I find, and I think it seems to set me apart a bit in the industry, which is I find weird, is it's always going back, what is the source of truth? And the source of truth isn't what Google reports. The source of truth is, have customers given you money? And, and that's the only thing that matters. Reporting, it's, it's all layers of abstraction and reporting and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's fine and it has its uses and it has their places, but nothing replaces, has the customer given you money? That's the only thing that matters.
0: Yeah, they're completely I completely agree again. I actually worked on the customer side, on the client side, what you know uh, we like to refer to, one year. Okay, and to be fair, I found it relatively boring. Uh, but um, <laughs> what I did enjoy was having access to the source of truth. Okay, to the actual mm. bank account because this was a gambling company, I did not have access to the bank account, but at least to the mm. internal reporting, where you know when a media showed me, look, we are generating this amount of performance for you, it's like no, you're not you're not it's like maybe you're reporting mm. that you're generating x amount of performance for me but you're not there is like no difference if i advertised with you or took the money and spent it on ice cream um i would have probably enjoyed the ice cream more i would have gotten fat but uh, short term i would have enjoyed the ice cream more than the report you provided me showing me that we've generated so much amount of like value for you
1: no you didn't yeah absolutely no i i, I completely agree yeah. and there's just so much abstraction around. And, and, and the, the, the funniest thing is people spend so much time, this is getting off on a little bit of a tangent, but I know you like a good tangent. People spend so much time talking about being data-driven and being data-led you know, led and data analysis and stuff like that. If, if people spent like one-tenth of the time they talk about being data-driven into data quality, it would be a completely different thing. And, you know, I think there is no data driven about data quality. And I don't know a single person in the industry that that I I work closely with who cares about data quality. I mean, I'm doing a project with a company at at, at the moment and I, I went through and I'm just kind of reviewing some of the work they're doing. And so one of the services I offer is I just come in on a project basis and just kind of, basically just stick my nose into every dark corner of your business and, and basically say, look, you know, everyone gets blind when you've been working on a company for more than a few months, you get your blind spots. So I come in and just kind of stick my nose into the dark corners and just say, hey, well, this is a little bit weird. Why are you doing this? And sometimes there's a good reason, sometimes there's not. And I, I was doing that for this business and I, I was looking at the Google ads and it was like this really well set up account, really well structured, really well optimized. I spoke to the account manager, smart guy, really knew his stuff. The whole thing was double tracking. Mm. And, and and so that 800% ROAS was actually a 400% ROAS, and, and you know of course you know and, and the, it's, it's a big agency, one you would know actually, and you know they're, they're a very data driven agency, and yet the whole thing's double tracking, and, and and there was there was quite a lot of um, smart shopping and PMAX in there as well, so which is all based on ROAS performance. So when they remove the tracking, they're going to have to ch- reset all their ROAS targets, and it's going to have to go back into learning again. It's going to be a nightmare for them to to, to reset all that stuff. But but regardless, they've been. Uh, I think it, we, we we worked out it have been live since February March. They did like a replatform back then, and, and we're pretty sure that's when the double tracking started. And so of course they were looking at the, the replatform and saying, "Oh, our performance has doubled. Oh, look at what, what a good job we have. What a great replatform we've done." It's like no, it's the exact opposite, in fact. And, and that, that's that's routine. I see. I see that like that's not an edge case. I see that all the time companies have major data quality issues yeah they're talking about data driven they're talking about the tracking they're talking about the accuracy but data is just like horrible we know uh, I'll, I'll i'll touch yeah, yeah. that point
0: i'll touch this point in a bit yeah. but like you know it's like okay so having been in the space for a little bit more than 20 years i think we both kind of like align mm. on the point that the biggest promise of digital marketing was everything is going to be trackable everything will <laughs> be trackable and in a way i would say that i don't really I don't really hold the media, like again Facebook, Google, and so on, accountable for the fact that they end up over-reporting because what are they doing at the end? Okay, they're basically telling you, okay, we we flag or we we um, uh, we color this user as like we touch them. Okay, so we've generated this conversion, and you're you're giving us data. We're showing you the data on some reports, and based on our account. We know nothing better. Um, we've generated this amount of ROS for you. Now, in a way, it's like everybody's kind of like driven or even incentivized to work like that, essentially trying to generate performance based on the reporting capacities they know. I, I sometimes, you know, I actually even once had this like a um, deck in, in front of like a, a team of UA people, user acquisition people in San Francisco, showing them look, if you're the, uh, I don't know, Coca Cola marketer in the 50s, your job is actually very convenient. You throw in ad dollars, you wait, you see a small uplift in your sales. You're happy uh, with you guys. You have so much enormous like access to data and nothing really makes sense. Nothing is aligned. Okay. Everything <laughs> has discrepancies and you don't really know how and where to explain it. So at the end, you end up kind of like um, hanging to the lowest hanging fruit, which would be, I don't know, look at our ROAS, it's like 10x fact that it's like mm. BS, it's not really an issue for many money marketers because they want to believe in this, like everything is trackable,
1: mm. and it's 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 easy to explain ROAS is a very very easy thing. You can talk to your you can talk to your CFO and you can explain ROAS if they don't know what ROAS is. You can explain it in thirty seconds, and it's it's very convincing. And you report these two de- you know two three decimal place numbers, and people like that and they, and they believe it. And all oh, Google, you know, they're, they're, they're a big data company, Facebook or a big data company, whatever. But it's just it's there's just so much rubbish out there, and yeah, I agree. There's no malice, but then, but then, these people advocating—they don't even understand their own tools and their own measurements. These people who were going and talking about it, like, I'll give, like a couple of years ago, I was hiring for a head of performance, and had basically, you know, in practice, I just wanted the best person I, I, I could. Pay whatever they wanted. It's just I just wanted the best person, the best qualified, within within reason. And and so I went out and I was was talking to all these like you know you know it was client side role and I was talking to all these you know big agency hotshots who were managing multi million dollar spends for you know multiple clients. And one of the questions I asked is, um, I I asked it in in a kind of roundabout way, but it was basically explain the difference between last click and post click. Not a single one could tell me the difference. I think the question is, you know, you you're look at your Google Ads account and it's reported, you know, you've made $100,000 and you look in Google Analytics and reports $80,000, why is there a difference? And the answer is post-click versus last-click, right? And um, not, not one of them got it. And these are people who are, who are daily talking about data quality and data-driven marketing and blah, 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 and reporting these numbers of clients. I and mean, They don't understand their own data. And it's, it's just, I just find it bizarre. It, it's, it's not that hard a concept.
0: I asked a similar question, by the way, again, room full of mobile marketers. Um, um, When you see an install reported on your attribution solution, what does it represent, which is not an install, by the way, it's a first open, which obviously has a gap and has a drop off and it's not really an install other than on certain media like Apple Search Ads, which an install is an install. So they're essentially like Apple Search Ads is inherently biased. Positively towards themselves because, well, they own the store.
1: Yeah, and are, are they being are they being um, sued in Germany at the moment for um, um basically rigging the game in in, in their favor? I'm, I'm they might, sure but the...
0: again, uh, you know, it's like the, the the fines they end up all these like big platform companies end up getting they they're gonna make that profit in like what
1: two hours? So sure, yeah. No, I'm I'm pretty sure the, the, the German you know the the, the trade regulation, government yeah, yeah. body, whatever they're called. I mean, you tell me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that they've launched a, a, a case against some um, Apple for um, basically unfairly preferencing their own platforms as part of, particularly in relation to iOS 14.5. Yeah, yeah, makes, makes sense. And again,
0: it happens all the times, but the, at the end, again, the, the fines they end up getting are nothing versus the profit they're actually making. And in the meanwhile, again, yeah. they are distr... Dist- um, Creating disruption in the industry.
1: Yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, you know, Facebook. You know, obviously, I had a, I had a oh, sorry, Meta. I should say. I, I still have that slight fringe it, it Facebook, every time. Yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, I as I was on a call with a couple of, I've kind of a, a, a running bet with some guys where where um, when we have calls, I try and I try and introduce the word Meta Mate into the conversation whenever whenever there's Meta people on the call. Just to kind of rub it in a little bit, and you can see them crin- cringing when they do that. So, um, but yeah, I was chatting with them to, about that today, and they were talking about you know strategic threats to the industry, and you know, and it was, it was in the context—it's just like about six, seven hours ago—in in the context of um, you know, obviously we're in the early stages of a recession at the moment, probably a global recession, and blah blah blah. And they were talking about global recession in the same breath as iOS fourteen point five and signal loss. and and, and, you know global recession supply chain ios 14.5 they were just all as far as is concerned they're all all kind of intermingled those things and i guess you know war in ukraine Uh, uh, again of course it's like you know
0: yeah and of course again kind of like being in this industry kind of makes sense that we have this view where like att and global recession are like Mm. cause and effect okay would make sense again but that's that's kind of like our world um i actually had a question about that so in a way, the world seems to be in certain denial about the fact that we are entering a certain recession. Um, most don't really see it coming, but let's say for the ones who are seeing it coming or like, truly believe we are there, what should they be doing from a marketing standpoint to prepare
1: right now, in your view? Preparing for a recession. That's, that's, in fact, that, that's more or less what the session was about today with, um, with, with Facebook, which is what they were talking about. I don't think it changes too much. I mean, you know, the, the, the textbook says, you know, you should do more brand advertising during, during recession and stuff like that. I mean, that's, and, and I, I am an advocate of that. I am a fan of that. It, but it's also for companies where, you know, and, and if, if you're like, you know, a big mega global, global of your Coke or whatever, that's 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 fine. But if, if you're a, if you're a startup and you're only making like $10 million a year, it's very hard to say, oh, you should be spending a million bucks on brand advertising. It's like, you know, you ain't got a million bucks to spend. So I, I, I think that, that that advice tends to be a little bit biased towards the, the, the enterprise companies, which of course where, where most of the customers make most of their money. I, I tend to work in, in midsize, you know, probably, you know, 20 million is the smallest I work with. I work up to a couple hundred million, um, my, my, my client range typically. Um, but I, I do think there is a case for advertising, you know, there, there is a case for advertising, um, investing in, in brand. I think also with um, you know, signal lost with iOS 14.5 and Google, you know, deprecating third party cookies next year. And, and, and in, in, Australia in particular, we've got a, a GDPR style leg, legislation in early draft. Um, it's still probably it's probably still I don't know eighteen months or two years or something off. It's there's just a first I can't remember what they call it. It was an it was it was something before a draft where they basically just chucked it out there and just see how people reacted. Um, I was I was reading through the responses and you know there's always you know two page response from this organisation and five page response from this organisation and twenty four page response from Facebook and but they had by far the biggest response. Um, But yeah, I I think, and and, you know, just sticking to the fundamentals, you know, watching your costs and all the basics and all that sort of stuff. But look, I I think it's also a time to to thrive. And I think the next couple of years are going to be quite exciting and it's going to sort out a lot of the amateurs from the professionals. So uh, I think it's a good time for me and, and hopefully for my clients as well.
0: Uh, I agree. By the way, it's like, a, like of course, some companies will not survive um, like such a like a global um, like recession. On the other hand, the ones who do typically um, get a very very like crash like crash course in marketing, financial responsibility, maturity.
1: Yeah, I, I saw someone on on LinkedIn the other day post a quote. I think it's by Ayrton Senna, the Formula One driver, and I'm I'm going to paraphrase badly here, but something like when it's sunny it's very hard to overtake cars but when it's rainy you can overtake 15 cars in one hit so um mark what's the typical like
0: lowest hanging fruit you see when you come into a new company you're working with
1: yeah it's a, it's a good question it, it does vary from company to company but i i think and one i do see a lot and it sounds very basic and very boring but it's budgeting I see companies have awful discipline around budgeting, and you know, at the end of the day, your 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 budgets and your resources are the only thing you have. And yeah, I see people just with no discipline around budgeting, no reporting, no tracking. And and to, to me, budgeting and you know, and getting back to you know your favorite subject, budgeting and attribution are kind of you know they're they're two sides of the same coin. Because I I know it's a little bit simplistic, but Simplistically, and you know, not completely wrong. You just you know you put the most money where where you have the most return, right? It, it, it's you know, there's long term and there's short term and there's strategic goals and blah blah blah. There are over overlays, but just simplistically, you know, if it's making more, you spend more, right? And and people don't really see that relation and just have very weird thinking about it. And you know, they just have no budgeting discipline. And it, I I just find that very weird. And and, and just by by really just spending just a little bit of time thinking about how you're spending your money and where you're spending your money makes a world of difference and can really improve your marketing efficiency you know i, I can improve companies marketing efficiency 10 15 20 percent just by budgeting yeah and there by the way it's like you know often we see like you know
0: companies who we, we would ask them hey uh, are you running also on tv and they're like oh we tried tv it didn't work and that's uh, the the analogy i use is kind of like i've tried food i didn't like it <laughs> just gonna not have food anymore yeah 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 and and companies will sometimes put 80 plus percent of their budget on the duopoly
1: yeah yeah that they, they do and particularly you know I'm, I'm operating mostly in the e-commerce space and that, that's virtually normal to do that in, in the e-commerce space and it, it is challenging though because they look they do have great products um so it, it is hard um I, I i had a question for you so sure. I'm 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 going to be visit visit my podcast now. I'm, I'm I'm going to be running it. You know, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Incremental Podcast. Um, so when we when we were chatting a couple of weeks ago, you you we, we were we were talking about you know looming recessions and stuff like this. Is it, when was it two three weeks ago something like that? And um, and, and we were talking about you know is it an acquisition problem or is it a macroeconomic? Do you remember this discussion? mm mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and one of the things you said is looking at cohorts of customers and using that to distinguish that if, if your new customers, if, if your existing customers are doing well and your new customers are diminishing, then it's probably an acquisition problem. But if your old customers are diminishing, then it's probably a macro problem. And that, that was really interesting. I'd never thought about it quite like that before. but i am i'm kind of and and i've I've been thinking about this ever since okay you're living rent free (laughs) in my head okay (laughs) and and, and look i I think there's a lot of truth to that but i think there's also a lot of assumptions in there you know it it assumes a lot about ltv it 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 assumes that you own the customer and i think that's 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 a faulty assumption a lot of customers have you know And, and particularly you know look I know you do a lot of gaming as well as e-com and whatever, but um, you know I, I'm, I'm mostly ecom. I've never, I've done, I've done apps. I've never done gaming. Um, but you know, if you look at um, a lot of the data around, it says that a lot of customers are, um, you know, loyalty basically doesn't exist. And you know, in in com it's a very large percentage of revenue comes from people who only purchase once. Um, so I, I, I'm curious, do you, do you, do you think that, that, that works, that approach, or is that kind of more in a, in a gaming environment where it is very much far more cohort driven, far more LTV driven than kind of e or other spaces necessarily? So again, I, f- I think it definitely is dependent on industry. And again, if
0: you're selling D2C, okay, and you're advertising on Google Shopping and Amazon and so on, you know, you have a product where you essentially just sell this single product, or let's say you have five products, doesn't really matter, but you have no real customer loyalty there, then your long term cohorts, they're useless. Okay. You actually like yeah. only have one major data point, which is to just see, you know, are your matrix—are are your metrics like diminishing versus what they used to be. Uh, again, click through rate, uh, impression to conversion, um, page view to add to cart, to uh, order, to uh, purchase mm. amount. It, of course, you need to work with the data you have, and data quality plays a very, very, very large part there. Mm. Um, yeah. And I agree with you. It's like you know, when we started the company, we thought everyone's going to have their marketing data super well, like maintained, because you know, it's, it's it's a large cost item oh. on your PNL. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fairly quickly, I, we found out that it's completely not that. I was about to it's say, like how that worked out for you? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a train wreck out there. Yeah, it's a disaster. No, they, we like the integration, premutation, uh, we support is like, we support whatever, okay? Just because we had to reach a point where, you know what, fine, you have like 70 files you need to dump every day to us, we'll work with that. <laughs> it's actually very rare for someone to have organized sets of marketing data, and even when they do, it's often not at the quality they believe it was.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the issue I have is they don't even think about quality. People just assume, oh, it looks roughly right, and therefore it is high quality. And I, you know, when I'm talking about quality, I'm not talking about you know, no, no data is perfect. You know, there's always one, two, three, four, five percent errors, and that's fine, and that's just something we accept. But I'm talking fifty, hundred percent errors. Yeah, yeah, when I'm talking that's... about data quality. Yeah, I mean your yeah. Google Analytics revenue and your e-commerce revenue. Yeah, they're like two percent difference and whatever. You know, we we live with that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah and you'll never fix that stuff but um yeah. yeah anyway jumping to the
0: lightning round so here i'm just gonna throw oh. a couple of like terms at yeah, you okay. your your opinion in a nutshell um hold slash geo tests
1: yeah big fan of both of them uh, are you asking for for a preference or just thoughts on them thoughts thoughts oh thoughts yeah yeah i i i, I think they're, they're they're awesome tests um yeah, I, I do a lot of geo testing. Holdout tests, you know, you need to have the, the, the right technology in place to do it. If if you do, if you can do it, it's great. You know, I, I was I was um, chatting with the head of um, data science for for, for Meta Australia uh, recently, and, and he's just obsessed with holdout tests, but that they have the tech in place to do it. But um, if you don't, then geo test they are both wonderful and horribly underutilized tools, I think.
0: But then I'm going to share with you an article I literally just published, like yesterday. Mm. If you're again, if you're doing e-comm or a D2C, would you do a holdout if you did a holdout, let's say in November, would it teach you anything towards
1: December? Yeah, I mean, you have to use, you have to use common sense as well. They're, they're, they're not perfect. Again, we're talking about accuracy versus precision. Um, and, you know, if you have a highly seasonal business like, you know, I, I work with a company who's, who sells, um, sam, um, sells camping gear and, you know, it was um, it's. Um, you know, July fourth in in the US, that that period, you know, a few weeks up to July fourth, is by far the busiest time of year for them. By far, they they will do like you know, thirty percent of a year's revenue in like you know, five or six weeks, um, in, in the US market. And and so for them to do a holdout test in that period would probably not speak well to what it is in November, where it's really really freezing cold. So you, you got to use you got to use a brain about it. But um, yeah, I I, I think so. I think, broadly speaking, for the right company done intelligently, it's a great tool. You, you don't agree? Again, it's like uh, I think that if you use if you use
0: your rational mind, yes. Uh, but if you just follow the like, okay, let's stop, start, stop, start, ignoring the fact that indeed weather changes, your seasonality is different, your competition might exactly. be doing different. Uh, it's it's like, and again, a holdout test is fine as long as you you have a very clear assumption that this is going to give you some directional this will not give you oh wow yes. my actual um it will not give you precise exact deterministic in parentheses)
1: data points no okay. totally agree multi-touch attribution multi-touch attribution oh oh man where do we start with that look i don't pretend to be a complete authority on that i i i personally think I'm curious to hear your view on this but I, I personally think that you know there's all these different attribution models and all these different ways of measuring it and you know and, and multi-touch and first click and last click and dynamic and blah 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 blah. I don't find that they change things radically. You know, I, I, I've never seen anyone say, oh, comparing this approach to that approach or looking at multi-touch or whatever you know you see oh suddenly you know our numbers look 60 percent higher or lower than they did before occasionally but rarely Uh, i i find you just doing more incremental changes and i think that speaks to just for fundamental limitations of attribution that so many people are There's just, as marketers, we just have such this simplistic idea idea that customer sees ads, customer clicks or doesn't click ad, gets an impression, and customer converts. Yet the actual, if we look at our own experience as customers, our own experience is radically different. And somehow as marketers, we seem to keep those two parts of our brain separate from each other, um, which just just does my head in. Um, and, And so, look, like I do work for a furniture company, and that shows, you know, and their, their average order value is, you know, 600 bucks or something. And and according to their data, their attribution data, uh, I think it's uh, was it? 50, 60% of people are buying on the first click. Now that's just, it's, it's obviously rubbish, right? No one goes into Google, types lounge suite, clicks, says, oh, I like that, and then clicks buy. I mean, yeah, there's a certain, you know, 5% of people do that, whatever, fine. But 50% of people, it just doesn't happen. And I don't care if you're using multi-touch, if you've got the best data science in the world, it's just not accurate. You know, they're going home, they're talking to my husband, they're talking to their wife, they're showing their friend, they're taking a photo, they're sharing it, they see an ad in a magazine, blah, 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 blah. And that's the reality, and that's very hard to measure that stuff. Cool. Uh, Yeah. What's what's your view of multi-touch? So again, I I, actually, it's
0: funny, like before incremental, I thought I wanted to build the world's best multi-touch, and I fairly quickly gave that idea up, and, So again, I I came from a world that thought in last touch thinking maybe multi-touch would be the answer. And like, I think what I reached in terms of kind of like my um, thought process was that last touch is very easy. Okay. Very, Mm -hmm. very easy. And it's real time. Multi-touch, first of all, it's like needs to be customized per client, per customer based on the media they are using. Okay. Often you don't even have access to the data and now we know that you're not going to get access to the data. But yeah. I would say what what really kind of like took me off this track completely um, was this voice in the back of my mind saying, Wait, what about offline spend? What about billboards and advertising and so on? You're not going to get multi-touch there. That was one point. Um, but I think that what really, really drove me away was that So let's say you go for the effort and you build an MTA model. Okay. Now you are hundred percent believing my MTA model is like completely right, correct, and so on. Now you change your media mix or you add a new medium. That model is off, but you are still clinging to the belief. My model is the best in the world. So, you know, it's like today, what I say to most customers, last touch is amazing. It's real time. It's simple. Keep it. Yep. There, is like, there is so okay. many use cases where Last Touch is going to be the only thing you need, okay? But it doesn't cover all the use cases and it doesn't cover mm-hmm. some decision-making that you should really, really, really not make on Last Touch. Take this uh, customer you just mentioned. Again, uh, people don't normally uh, make a rash decision. Oh, I'm just going to buy a 600 bucks piece of furniture by seeing this yeah. one ad.
1: Normally, exactly. don't. Exactly. Um, so, so, someone buying for the office, sure, you know, the secretary buying a new couch for the doctor's surgery. Yeah, sure, they're going to buy them first click, but that's a minority. Yeah. Uh, Mark, what's a random fact about you? A random fact about me? Um, okay, here's a random fact about me. I worked at the Tower of London. So Tower you never know, of, of London okay. with the beef eaters yeah. and where they used to like execute royals and stuff like that. I yeah, worked yeah, there. Yeah. I didn't ex- I didn't execute any royals. I wasn't I wasn't senior <laughs> enough for that. Uh, I, I helped the people who executed royals, but I would never actually got to do it myself, unfortunately. Okay. Cool. Um, I actually just visited there like a month ago. I was there with my daughter. Oh, you went to the Tower of London, did you? Yes. The first yeah, time, but it was li- actually I lived in London.
0: I lived in London and never went there, and now I went there
1: yeah right okay cool yeah did you
0: like it yeah it was quite uh, quite an interesting uh, to see it and go through and my daughter is you know she's 11 she likes all this like horror stuff so definitely was interested yeah, in right. where really they killed it. people
1: yeah. tortured people and so on yeah yeah if If you know tower hill where they used to do the executions i've would my lunch breaks on tower hill okay. <laughs> so grab, yeah. grab my sandwich and sit where they, they would lock people's heads off and yeah okay
0: and then mark if people want to find you find you reach out to you what's the best way uh, for them to do so
1: uh either on linkedin where i'm quite active or i've got a a, just a little website set up just google my name mark bartzer B A -A R T S E, and either of those ones is good for me but i'm on linkedin all the time so it's probably slightly better but whatever cool we'll put a link on the uh, description of this podcast sure that's great so
0: mark thank you so much for your time um thank you for making the
1: uh, like late evening time as well (laughs) that's fine thank you
0: and uh, wishing you a lovely uh, rest of the evening
1: thank you have a great day